Hello, and welcome to the Vote Her podcast, because when you vote, crazy things can happen. I'm Mira Davis, radio and TV host, political enthusiast, and coffee addict. And I'm Jen Jordan, state senator, mom, doggy mom, and now a voter in the runoff. I got my absentee ballot in, and I'm feeling pretty good. Senator Jen also puts eggnog in her coffee. Oh, it's disgusting. <laughs> oh, it's the worst this morning. It is a Christmas, a very special Christmas episode of the Vote Her podcast. So I, I saw you tweet that and I wanted to bring that up. I think that could be good. Yeah, this was like fat free. I was like, <laughs> why does my coffee look like this? And then I tasted it and I was like. This is not going to be a good day. Okay. Well, it's going to get better because we have so many crazy things to talk about. Let's first start with the good news, and that is the early voting numbers. Now, I got my ballot in. I got my absentee. I put it in the Dropbox. I got the ballot tracks. I got the phone call. I got the text. I got the email. I got everything. So my vote was counted. I felt really good about this. The numbers, Jen, have been very high of runoff voting. So let's get your feeling. Everybody asks me, what is Senator Jen thinking at this point? So it's pretty amazing because right now for the runoff, we have had basically 1.12 million people have cast a vote between the absentees accepted and the early vote. At this point for the general election in November, it was just 1.22. So I mean, we're close. We're about a one percentage point off. And it's significant because normally for a runoff, you expect to have probably 30 to 40 percent less in terms of turnout. Right now, we're basically on par to get there. The only thing that may throw us is the fact that we have fewer early vote days. And so I hope people are cognizant as they get ready for the holidays, but they need to get out there and vote. Do it as quickly as you can. Just get it in the bank. But it's looking great. And in terms of the people that have actually voted, it's much more diverse than at this point in November, which bodes well for Democrats. And a lot of younger voters and a lot of people that just registered to vote as well. That number's high. Yeah, I think there have been 75,000 Georgians to register, newly register, since the November election. And so that that's an incredible number. And already 30,000 um, Georgians have voted, have actually cast a vote that didn't vote in November. So, you know, this is going to make for a really interesting um, election day and election night. Well, there's been a lot of foolery, a lot of lawsuits, and we have our, a guest, Stephen Fowler from Georgia Public Broadcasting, coming on to talk about all these crazy, crazy lawsuits. And some of them, you know, they're they're just saying the quiet part out loud. I mean, there's a lot of Ray Ray stuff. Yeah, there's a lot. It's just, you know, high quality voters or just questioning the actual people that are voting. It's really, really troubling. Yeah, we had uh, former Representative Betty Price, who is the wife of former congressman and secretary of HHS, Tom Price, basically say on Twitter that you know, she came mighty close to advocating something like a literacy test or a poll tax. What's interesting is if you study Georgia from years past, if you go back 20, 30, 40, 50 years, this is what they would do to people with voter suppression to make people take tests or make people jump through hoops or say crazy things like that. It is I mean, they are really dropping very, very low on this. Well, what's interesting, and I would challenge everyone to go and find this, try to take the literacy test that was actually given to voters, to black voters in Georgia, and see if you can pass it. And I am going to tell you that you probably can't. And so it's one of those things that it was set up specifically to disenfranchise people. And so, you know, we've got a long history of trying
trying to disenfranchise folks here, black voters. And so we need to be incredibly cognizant and it's incredibly irresponsible for somebody like Betty Price to make statements like that in light of our history in this state and in this country. Ugh, what kind of name is that? Betty Price. Betty. Oh, She's just a <laughs> Betty. She was a Betty before there were Karens. <laughs> Yes, she was a Betty. Betty. So, of course, we're talking about the runoff, which is, you know, national attention. So many celebrities, like literally, like you can't go anywhere without hearing about the the Georgia runoff elections. And there have been some funny things that have been happening, like John Ossoff and uh, Leslie Jones. Uh, You know, Leslie Jones has been watching MSNBC and critiquing people. So they actually had a Q&A, which was kind of cute and funny. What do you think of that with celebrities getting involved? Leslie Jones is probably, it's more entertaining to watch her than to actually watch the news. Um, you know, she's almost kind of jumped over Room Raider on Twitter in terms of, of what people pay attention to and, and what people are really trying, they're really trying to get her to pay attention to them. Okay, I like this dude. How the f- like, how the f- we don't vote for people like this? That literally sounds like they give a f- about people and and i like his bookshelf his bookshelf looks like okay this is the type of person i want in office because he got these damn books and he's reading these damn books what is that picture though john wait a minute john what's that picture wait a minute i'm taking a look at is people walking across somebody back john listen here john i'm gonna do what i can to make sure that people are voting for you homie and i'm gonna have to say your background it fits you even though i know that this is the corner that your wife gave you so you don't deserve, don't uh, disturb the rest of the house. <laughs> so <laughs> this is your little office nut and I respect it, John. And then you have Warnock who uh, made his debut on my favorite political show, The View, and he did a pretty good job, but someone got, they have to get him a better internet connection. You know, he stays on message. I think he's been doing well, but he needs a better internet connection. And he's been taking a lot of heat from the Leffler campaign. Well, I mean, a lot of heat, but it's like a lot of they're trying to act like there's something there. They're, they're, they're throwing a lot of smoke out there, trying to to paint him in a way that's just not correct. But, you know, they're trying to scare people. They're trying to make him seem like this scary, crazy guy that if he gets elected, it's the end of democracy as we know it. And it's it's really intellectually mm, dishonest, they, I have to say. They keep saying he's radical. He's radical. I mean, the ads, they're, they're, they're just. Well, in the, his preaching, they keep getting clips. I mean, he's been preaching forever. And they've got like three clips that they use just constantly to, to try to make him look like he's some kind of crazy, radical guy. But what's fascinating to me is that Ebenezer Baptist was one of the first places that Kelly Leffler went after she got the appointment. And she stood up in that pulpit and basically said she was honored to be there. And so for her to kind of turn around and do this, it just shows you that she's really willing to do just about anything, you know, to win in January. That's why I believe that I don't think she is this person. I think she has been, I think she wants power, but I I don't think when she was there back in January, and you can speak to this better, Jen, I don't think she wanted to be this person. I think her advisors have been saying to her, look, you've got to go super, super hard right because you're not winning with moderates and you, you can't have it both ways. It has gotten so extreme, though. Yeah, but that's just it. She may not be that person who thinks, you know, those racist things or believes in Q, but the fact that she is willing to sacrifice her personal kind of ethics or her personal reputation even 
really tells us everything we we need to know about her. For sure. And it went around that she took a photo with a notorious uh, white supremacist. That photo went viral and it was on some crazy like Russian social media site. And then it went viral. And what was interesting to me is although her campaign denounced the photo with this gentleman. Now, this wasn't her first anti-Semitic dust up. Uh, She's done sat down for interviews with known white supremacists, obviously campaigning with Marjorie Taylor Greene, who has not been great, uh, in, you know, for, for the Jewish community. Um, and now you have this and you don't see her tweeting about it. Only her campaign disavowed the photo. And I thought that was very telling. Well, what's fascinating is that the dude that she took a photo with, right, is a well-known white supremacist in Georgia named Chester Dulles. He is such a white supremacist and so well known in terms of of his beliefs that even Marjorie Taylor Greene had him kicked out of her event. When you're taking a picture with somebody that Greene won't even hang out with, you have really gone radical right. And isn't there someone when you have all the best advisors that money can buy? Literally. Isn't there somebody there, Jen, to say, oh, this guy's bad news. Don't take a picture with him. Yes. Let me tell you something. In the political world, especially at that, when you're playing at that level, you should have people advancing your events. You should know everybody that comes through the door. They should be vetted. And you sure as heck shouldn't be taking a picture with a former KKK leader unless that's what you want to do. Well, that's the other piece of the puzzle here. Meanwhile, I just want to play this clip of when she went to go vote at Chastain, your polling place, uh, Senator Jen. Still not sure if if Senator Kelly Loeffler voted for you back in November, but nevertheless, same polling place. And she's asked if she thinks the president, uh, Biden, President-elect Biden, is is the elected president. Looking very chic and I'm sure a couture raincoat. And um, here's how that went. Is it accurate to say you haven't decided on that one yet? Look, I I haven't looked at it. Uh, January 6th is a long way off. There's a lot to play out between now and then. Senator McConnell has called to congratulate President-elect Biden. Is that something you've done? Do you plan to do that in the future? Look, I'm focused on winning this race on January 5th. I I talked to Leader McConnell this morning. Um, We're focused very much on delivering relief that Democrats have held up time and again in Washington. Georgians are counting on us to deliver relief, and we're going to make sure that we get that done because that's what's at stake here is serving Georgians and making sure that they have what they need to stop playing politics, and that's what we've called on Democrats to do for three months now. Have you acknowledged that Biden is going to be the president? Look, the the president has a right to every legal recourse. Uh, That's what's playing out right now. Uh, I'm focused on winning this race on January 5th. I've been getting around the state every single day, talking to hardworking Georgians, hearing from them. They need us to deliver relief that Democrats are blocking, and I'm going to keep pushing for it, and I hope that we can get there this week. But have you acknowledged that Biden is going to be president? Look, that my focus is on winning this race right now. It's vitally important that Georgians understand the American dream is on the ballot. My opponent is the most radically liberal candidate Senate that our country has ever seen. He's someone that would be first in line to defund the police. He won't renounce socialism and Marxism. Uh, He won't answer questions about packing the court and a child abuse investigation that he obstructed. My focus is on making sure that Georgians have someone in Washington that will work for them, that will be their voice, and make sure that we deliver relief right now during this pandemic. Have you ever acknowledged that Biden will be president? Look, there'll be a time for that. If that becomes true. But, you know, the president has a right to every legal recourse. This is pretty unbelievable. It's almost comical. I mean, the look in her eyes is just like, oh, take me to your leader. Well, it was kind of like the look she had when somebody asked her about the... what was it? The, the, access the video, Hollywood tape, the, the access Hollywood tape. Like, uh, I've never I've never heard of that. I, I don't know what you're talking about. It's like it's so unbelievable. And unless they that that is, in fact, how clueless she is. Well, then she shouldn't be a U.S. senator, for God's sakes. OK, and now um, on to David Perdue. Here's the thing with his ads lately. 
Okay, there's two things I want to address. One, why does he whisper in every ad? Police defunded. Uh, communism spreading it. Why? Taxes sky high. Yeah, I... <laughs> I don't know. And plus, he's kind of got this half smile when he's talking about these things that are purportedly the end of of democracy, you know, as we know it. And save you've got to vote for him to save America. I mean, it's it really is just pathetic. The patriotic music in the background. And then there's one with a bunch of ladies. It's like they're having like a, you know, a book club. And these ladies are amazing. Wait, I just have to play it because it's just like, wow, who talks like this? I really just like David. He's a good person. And he's concerned about our veterans, our military. David Perdue has done exactly what he said he would do. David Perdue is a man of his word. He is so well-rounded, well-focused. He is looking out for all Georgians. I know that David is not going to defund our police, and he is not going to gut the military. I'm David Perdue, and I approve this message. Well, somebody does, clearly. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe, anybody I, I'm, not like sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I like it. I mean, I like I like it in like a making a fun of it way. Uh, but do you think this is effective? Look, I think they're trying to get out their base. Whoever they think their base is, that's who they're trying to communicate. They're definitely not trying to grow their appeal. It's not like a persuasion election. This is all about turnout, and he's going to scare the hell out of people, or Leffler's going to scare the hell out of people, and only talk to the folks that they absolutely want to get out to vote. And and these women must be part of that group. Okay. Uh, Then we had Biden come to town which was exciting. A lot of people were there and he gave a very good speech. Pence has been coming to town. And then next week, uh, Kamala Harris, the vice president elect will be coming to town. So this isn't slowing down. All right. The other thing is, um, before we get to our guests, I want to mention this because I was really, really outraged by this, as was Jen. The article in Glamour magazine about what was a Biden's campaign manager. Yep. And, and she has, um, been appointed to or announced as his deputy chief of staff in the White House. And and in the full context of the article of she was just like, oh, when we're trying to get things done, the GOP or efforts, it wasn't it was just like an off the cuff comment. And I saw so much conservative outrage about this, including from Marco Rubio. It was mind blowing. Yeah, like Marco Rubio, come on. I mean, literally, it was like these dudes were like clutching their pearls. And I was like, are you in the age of Trump? I mean, the things that Trump says on an everyday basis, I mean, he drops the F-bomb left and right, like at his rallies. And they all cheer, right? Right. So that's the uh, Jen O'Malley, who's the White House Deputy Chief of Staff. And here's the thing is, of all the vile and disgusting and just beyond like garbage human rhetoric, uh, how how are they going to get through the next four years? How is anybody going to get anything? How, what is this all going to look like? Look, people are going to have to have, you know, a come to Jesus session with themselves and try to figure out if they are in it for this country or for themselves in terms of political ambitions, because we have got to set a re, I mean, we've got to reset things in this country. We've got to start looking out, you know, for the people who live here, like people that are elected should get up every day and their main thought should be, what am I going to do for the people who actually put me in this position? And instead, it looks like folks are looking for things to, to be outraged about every single day, kind of this this faux, you know, 
faux outrage where they can just kind of throw barbs at each other. And that's not how we're going to get things done or move forward. Which is is really interesting when it comes to Governor Kemp, who recently said in the press conference where sadly his daughter has been getting death threats. You know, her boyfriend was killed tragically in a car crash. And this has been used on uh, conspiracy theories, propaganda, a lot of terrible stuff. Obviously, the president's been tweeting about the governor the secretary of state on and on and on with horrible, horrible harassment. And what's interesting to me, Jen, is that he will say, stop doing it. This is terrible. We all agree on that, but will not look or shine a light on the true core of where it's coming from. Yeah, I think the problem is, is that Republicans from a political perspective have found themselves in the proverbial rock in a hard place. I mean, they don't want to say anything that is going to look like they are crossing Trump because they need, I mean, they need Trump supporters to get out on January 5th. But, you know, it really is doing a disservice to the people of this state and this country for them not to kind of point to really the font of, of disinformation because people believe the president. And why shouldn't they, right? Like the president of the United States is saying something. You shouldn't assume that 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 person would lie to you. But he is. And he's doing it in a way that's really, really destructive. It sure is. But we certainly wish them the best. And uh, people stop doing it because, you know, it's funny to make jokes about Jen being a prison wife for this podcast. But I'd make an awful one, by the way. (laughs) All right. Let's shift gears and get to our guest. Our guest today is Stephen Fowler, and Stephen is an award-winning reporter and photographer for Georgia Public Broadcasting News. He covers state and local politics, but most recently he has been pretty much worldwide with his work focusing on voting and elections, state government, legal issues, and of course the 2020 election and the 2020 recount runoff insanity. Stephen joins us now. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me. It is a, every day is a new journey that eventually has an end. Yeah, it's interesting. Something pops up almost every day. And honestly, the first thing I do is go to your Twitter feed because I'm thinking, well, maybe Stephen kind of knows what's going on um, before I have to really dig into it. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's been a useful platform. Uh, It has its drawbacks, of course, but it is a way to not everyone's going to sit and listen to a 20 minute podcast episode. Although, you know, this is proof that there are people that do. Uh, Not everyone's going to read a thousand word story detailing the ins and outs of a federal court ruling. But uh, it's a good way to get fast and accurate information out, especially when it comes to knocking down less than inaccurate information. Let's rewind for a second. When the the 2020 election happened, obviously you were covering it in, in great detail. And then Georgia was about to turn blue. Was this something you had predicted? Were you surprised about this uh, when that all happened? I was not surprised. I think the worst case scenario and and worst in the sense of, you know, everything completely unpredictable would be that it was going to be a close race. You looked at absentee data and early voting data and just saw scores of people lining up to vote and turning their ballots in, not just in the Cobb and Gwinnett counties of the world, but in far northwest Georgia and down in south Georgia. And so everybody was getting out the vote. uh, And it was clear that it was going to be a nail biter. Also looking at the history of demographic data in Georgia, Georgia is not the same Georgia it was 10 years ago. Uh, Metro Atlanta in particular is a lot younger. It's more diverse. It's full of people that tend to vote for Democrats. And the balance of power has slowly been shifting in the state, just looking at the data. And so you combine that with one of the most heavily contested elections in Georgia's recent history, 
and the unprecedented situation of a new voting system and the pandemic and increased absentee by mail voting. And, you know, I was not surprised at all that it was going to be this close. And, you know, looking at the numbers and talking to people on the ground, I ultimately wasn't surprised that it was going to be a Democratic presidential victory, but not necessarily down ballot. Yeah, that that's what's kind of crazy. Because the thing that has struck me in terms of the Trump challenges or the Republican Party challenges to the election or or the whole idea that Democrats somehow stole this election from Trump is that, you know, the premise has to be that Democrats are so incompetent and so dumb that we can steal, you know, the Trump race, but every other race that we were, you know, fighting, you know, we came up short kind of statewide. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of a suspension of disbelief with a lot of the things that have happened pre and post election in Georgia that if you focus on that one topic or that one key issue, it's not necessarily a grand vast conspiracy to be like, well, you know, Trump should have won Georgia you know, he won everywhere else. Um, you know, Republicans won everywhere else. Why didn't he win? Something suspicious going on. But if you look at the dynamics of Georgia, like I mentioned, you know, there are a lot of people that have moved into Atlanta suburbs that aren't necessarily cookie cutter Republicans or cookie cutter Democrats. And you look at the larger dynamics of the race that we had two U.S. Senate races. Um, with some different dynamics with the Republicans and Democrats there, and then with 20 candidates in the special election. And if you just kind of take a step back from whatever your own political views are, and just kind of look at the bigger picture, then it's not necessarily a surprising outcome. And then if you drill down into the nuts and bolts in it, Republican House Speaker David Ralston, who has guided the ship of that chamber for a while, did some heavy, aggressive campaigning for vulnerable members that were at risk of being flipped by Democrats and ended up protecting most of those seats, even in some of the places that analysts had predicted would be a done deal for Democrats. And so it's, you know, it's not surprising when you look at it, but ultimately in this era that we are in, some have called it post-fact, I'm just going to call it post-election. It's not surprising to see that more people have questions than answers about how everything shook out. As you talk about surprises, I, I mean, certainly maybe you expected some legal challenges as far as a recount here and there because it was so close. But could you have ever imagined that you are how many lawsuits deep in this at this point? You know, I kind of wish I was PACER, which is the document system for the federal courts that they charge 10 cents a page up to 30 pages. So it's $3 max. But I have spent more on PACER in this last couple months getting court documents and filings and tracking cases like I have spent more on that than probably quarantine takeout food, uh, just because there have been so many cases filed at the county, state, federal level. Even we had the one filed directly in the Supreme Court. And um, it's been a crash course in election law for a lot of people. But luckily, about two and a half years ago, there was this thing called the 2018 governor's race where you had Stacey Abrams making voting rights a central part of her campaign and Brian Kemp, whose job was to oversee voting in Georgia. And so uh, basically, I was studying election law before it was cool. And so I was a little bit more prepared for the whole spaghetti thrown at the wall, see what sticks method of challenging lawsuits day in and day out. No, and, and a lot of those challenges from 2018 actually did result in some changes that have kind of been the subject of your your reporting. I mean, specifically uh, the signature match issue, right, in terms of the consent agreement that the Twitterati on the right believe is some kind of illegal secret document, even though it was entered into on the state of Georgia by the AG and is public. But, you know, you were kind of there at ground zero in terms of you know, when all that was happening. 
Yeah, I mean, the obviously the the number one takeaway from the 2018 result is that Brian Kemp is now the governor, and Jeff Duncan is now the lieutenant governor, and Brad Raffensperger is the secretary of state. But in the aftermath of the 2018 election, you know, elections happen year round, and election coverage happens year round. So we got to the 2019 session, and there was a big omnibus bill, House Bill 316, that dealt with everything from changing Georgia's voting system to making some of these tweaks to absentee laws based on federal court rulings and consent decrees and other things. And so it's really been a never-ending process that it wasn't, you know, 2018 happened, then whatever, and then, oh, now the 2020 election's happening. But a lot of Republican lawmakers, both state and federal and, you know, Republican Party leaders, haven't really been paying attention because I think it's easy when you're in power to kind of rest on your laurels and not really dig into the day-to-day of what's going on. And so all of these voting laws and rules have been changing and happening. And these uh, battle lines have been drawn for you know a couple of years now. And it wasn't until after the final whistle blew that some of the top Republicans decided, well, wait a minute, this isn't okay. And so I know, you know, Senator, you can talk a little bit more about some of the legal aspects of things, but a lot of these lawsuits were dismissed and not considered because basically the judges were like, you snooze, you lose. You're trying to challenge something that we ruled on, the courts ruled on months ago. Why didn't you say anything then? And, uh, you know, just a couple of days ago, an attorney for the attorney general's office argued that, you know, the Republicans sat on their hands while they hoped to benefit from this procedure that they are now challenging. And so it's just kind of, there were some people asleep in the wheel that maybe some of these challenges could have gotten through and could have had more merit, but uh, uh, they just waited too late. Well, the thing that's kind of amazed me is that the, the Republican elected officials who built this system, right? They're the ones that actually, <laughs> I mean, this is, Republicans have been in control forever. And these are the laws that they have passed. And this is the system they have built. And so the the outrage that I'm seeing from the other side of the, of the aisle has been, it's almost been comical because it's like, y'all, y'all are the ones who voted for this stuff. You're the ones who, who passed these policies, who blessed these policies. Like you said, I mean, the AG was involved in this litigation, the Secretary of State. Everybody knew what was going on, but it's only after they lose that all of a sudden people seem to have a problem with, with exactly the system that, that, that they established. Well, and some of it, obviously, you know, some of the argument is that this consent decree with the Democrats, you know, dealing with signature matching, that, you know, Republicans weren't involved with that necessarily, and that the legislature was not involved with that. Yeah, you know, the legislature is not the only avenue for election laws and rules to be promulgated. I mean, primarily, yes, but we have the state election board, which is chaired by the Secretary of State, that is enabled to put together emergency rules and pass regular rules to tell counties how to do it. And then, of course, we have the courts. And so it is a little bit fair to say that, yes, the legislature was not involved with this consent decree uh, dealing with signature match. And so the legislature hasn't had a chance to weigh in on addressing and fixing these things. But uh, previous cases, you know, in 2018, when there was litigation over absentee ballot rejections and things like that, the legislature did get involved and ended up codifying some of the changes that judges ordered. So it is an ebb and flow process where certainly, you know, not every lawmaker is supposed to be tuned into every single federal court hearing, but that's where there's the responsibility of the Secretary of State's office and both Democratic and Republican Party leadership to kind of stay abreast of the changes happening. Well, I had seen you tweeting that you were spending like an evening. I forget which lawsuit or what event it was, but you had spent an evening watching OANN and Newsmax. And it it was quite an experience for you. Yeah. So I watched President Trump's first post-election rally down in Valdosta, the pre-show and post-show on One American News and Newsmax and the Right Side Broadcasting Network. And 
if that was your primary source of news, it would be a completely different world that you live in because it, th- the things that were said, the explanations that were given, and how confident those people were giving those falsities to people is very concerning because, you know, a lot of conspiracies and things that people spread about politics, you're like, okay, that doesn't sound quite right. Like, there's something a little off, like, sure, grandpa, you know, turn the TV off, whatever. But the level of confidence in which people are so confident that the world they live in and the views that they have are reality is very troubling and concerning. You know, there are people that are still convinced that, you know, President Trump is going to execute some order and it's going to be martial law to come in and have the military come in and rerun the presidential election in Georgia and other states the right way. And there are people convinced, actually, you know, this is a really sad example. There is uh, the guy that formerly ran a online website that was where QAnon was started and posted, uh, started recruiting digital soldiers to go out and follow and track election workers in Georgia to make sure that they weren't destroying machines and dumping things. And I watched a live stream where a retired vet was following these two Gwinnett County elections workers and got stopped by the cops because he was stalking and harassing them and trespassing on private property. And the officer was like, look, man, like, this is Georgia. You're lucky you didn't get shot because you were harassing these people and following them. Like, please go home. And the guy's like, well, yeah, my gun's not loaded. Like, and I wouldn't do anything. But what's to say that the next time you know, you just saw in Texas, I believe it was, that the former law enforcement guy went and like rammed an AC repairman truck and held him at gunpoint because he thought there were a truck full of ballots and it was like air conditioners. So you've watched a lot of court hearings. I have too, um, through this whole thing and read a lot of pleadings and stuff. And so I'm, my guess is that that what I feel or, or how I've perceived things may be a little bit different just because I'm a lawyer in my background, but what has been kind of the most surprising thing that you've seen or witnessed that has kind of come out all of this, even understanding that you even kind of saw that this could possibly happen, especially if it was a close election. What's the thing that you said to yourself? I, I can't believe this is happening. Well, I guess two things. I mean, one, I, uh, I've been covering the the suit I've been covering the longest has been filed by the Coalition for Good Governance, uh, seeking to get rid of Georgia's voting machines, electronic voting machines, and try to go to handmarked paper ballots. It's been going on for more than three years. I've spent, you know, hours and hours and hours in hearings. I think the docket is up into the thousands now of all these filings. And you had election lawyers defending the state. Um, who know election law and rules and procedures and how Georgia's voting works. And then on the plaintiff side, you had election lawyers that know election laws and rules. And, you know, you had these epic battles of facts and understanding of how the law works and what can be asked for and what can't. And it's gone on for three years. And then you get to these election lawsuits here and all of the top election lawyers in Georgia, the Republican election lawyers in Georgia, are nowhere to be found on these suits. You had a slip and fall attorney. You had like a trust and estates attorney filed these. You had whatever you want to call Sidney Powell um, and yeah. Lynn Wood. And none of these election challenges were being filed by people that knew jack squat about election law. And obviously, I am not a lawyer, but I know reading through the codes and interviewing and talking to people who are lawyers that if you're going to do something like invalidate 5 million votes, you probably want to at least file it in the proper court. And I guess the other thing that just blew my mind along with that is how many of Georgia's top elected officials went on with this. I mean, the unprecedented suit in the Supreme Court where the Texas Attorney General, who is under indictment for one issue and is being investigated for another just did the most Leroy Jenkins thing of them all going straight to the Supreme Court and didn't even get facts about Georgia right. Didn't get facts about how many votes were counted. Well, and didn't get the, the law right 
either. Well, the, I mean, the law, right? But yeah, and so the, you know, basic, basic, like I don't know, like one L one O one, like how to spell things correctly, how to fact check, like those things weren't there. And we had officials in Georgia just be like, you know what, this is awesome. I am putting my name and reputation onto this. Yeah. Well, not only that, but like not only put my name and reputation, but I am going to take a position counter to the state of Georgia, the state that I represent, that I have sworn allegiance to and sworn to uphold their constitution. But yeah, Texas, let's go. I mean, it was that that is when I was like, we have totally jumped the shark. There is going to be a what's next, believe it or not. There is going to be a January 6th, 2021, and there's going to be a post-election 2021. (laughs) But for me, what's next is what happens? Do you, like, I don't think you can just, you know, if David Perdue and Kelly Leffler win, I don't think you can just go and get sworn in and be like, oh, uh, how's everyone's holidays? You know, uh, (laughs) look forward to getting some lawmaking done. Like, how do you move forward from this post-election time? I mean, some of the lawmakers in the Georgia legislature, you know, it was lame duck things, you know, but we still have a legislative session where lawmakers have signaled they're going to crack down on voting laws that they passed and they enjoyed. And that's the what's next that I'm focused on is how do both parties, but especially Republicans in Georgia, move forward from a Trump boss? Uh, By the way, Trump lost. Uh, The certified (laughs) results show that he lost. The Republican Secretary of State, who, by the way, Brad Raffensperger is the most opposite of a rhino you could have. To insinuate that he's somehow in cahoots with Stacey Abrams, uh, someone who, like, he could find any opportunity possible to rip on Stacey Abrams. Like, Georgia's hard right Secretary of State saying, no, Trump lost. I voted for him. He lost. This is how the laws work. That led to national news cycles for about a week when it should have just been a day ending in Y in Georgia. Right, and right, so, right. And people in Georgia were laughing at that because <laughs> that's just yeah. so not. Well, like there's some big conspiracy between Governor Kemp, Secretary of State Raffensperger and Stacey Abrams. Like they're meeting in the dead of night so that she can take over the state one day. It's It's crazy. That's the thing. I've spent a lot of time covering the governor and covering the secretary of state, you know, getting to know them personally, as well as, you know, coverage wise. And I think at the end of the day, it is encouraging that the governor and the secretary of state and the lieutenant governor and the attorney general all stood up for facts and law and uh, reality so that at the end of the day, we can be confident that even if you may have partisan disagreements with them over policy, that the people running the ship in Georgia are not steering it into a big old iceberg. Well, let's see what happens. Uh, we've got a couple interesting weeks left and everybody should be following Stephen Fowler. It's S-T-P-H-N-F-W-L-R on Twitter. And you can check out his podcast called Battleground Ballot Box and listen to him on GPB News. And of course, NPR Nationwide. Stephen, thanks so much for giving us some time today. And I hope you get some rest because you've been very busy. (laughs) Thank you. Man, Stephen's really been doing the work. I am like, I, he, I, I really do think he needs a nap. I think so many of our great reporters in, the, in Georgia <laughs> need a rest. <laughs> but I liked what he said, though, as far as legislating. Uh, whatever the outcome of the elections, nothing is going to be normal. We're not going to just be like, all right, that was fun. Hey, you signed on to a seditious <laughs> filing. <laughs> How's it going? How's the fam? Yeah, I know you're not going to forget when you're at the state house. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of hard to forget, though, right? It's yes. okay if we disagree, all that. But when you, I mean, that just. Mm. Well, that's one of the things that I really respect about you is that 
even though you will go into that state house and you will have bills and you will have discussions and you will have things with people you disagree with, you will always go back and say, you know, that's a good senator. That's someone that cares about their constituents, even if you're not on the same political spectrum. Well, I think that sometimes makes it even harder, though, like when you know somebody and you know that they're a decent human being and that they're a good guy or whatever. And they're all guys because they're all Republicans. And then you see them do stuff that, you know, is counter to the human being, you know, yeah, and you know, it has to be political. And those are some of the most disappointing moments, I have to say. Well, let's let's kind of do our last segment with something that's a little bit more positive since we are getting into the Christmas spirit or as um, if I'm Melania Trump, we, I have to do that effing Christmas stuff again. Wait, I just want to play that because it's my favorite. I'm working like a ass my ass. I know Christmas stuff that, you know, who gives a f- about Christmas stuff and decoration, but I need to do it. Right. What are you doing for Christmas? So we are hunkering down, right? Like we are all excited because we see vaccinations, you know, in the next 60 days or so. But look, numbers are as bad as they've been in this state. Not sure if that's because of Thanksgiving or if if we're just kind of exhausted, you know, from the restrictions. But look, y'all, just two more months, two more months of just doing the right thing by your fellow citizens. We see the light at the end of the tunnel and we know it's not a train coming our way. So, you know, stay with your family. That's what we're going to do. And uh, it's going to be a very, very small Christmas in terms of of my immediate family. Will you, I want to give a shout out to um, my friend, Anna, who also loves Watergate salad. It's the best. (laughs) And she wanted me to tell you that, yes, it is like ambrosia. No, no. <laughs> she probably uses more fruit than I yes. do. Okay. So that's exciting. Are you going to bake? Are you going to make anything? What does Senator Jen make? Usually I do a tenderloin the night before. We have like tenderloin and um, great potatoes and just a really, really heavy meal Christmas Eve. And then um, we wake up, we have chocolate croissants from Trader Joe's. They're great if you've never tried them. You leave them overnight. They puff up. It's as if you went to a French bakery. Oh, good to know. Yeah. Awesome. The almond ones as well. Okay. And that's what we've been doing for years. And so it's it's great. But the kids are older now. You know, when your kids are a little bit older, it's not it's not as, uh, as, as exciting, but it's also not as stressful. Right. Now, do you, so you do your Christmas present opening on Christmas morning. Christmas morning. And do you yes. wrap the presents? So, you know, through the years, the wrapped presents were from mommy and daddy. And then Santa (laughs) never wrapped because Santa doesn't wrap, right? They just kind of magically come out of his bag. So we're, we're headed more toward wrapping more, but it always gets to us Christmas Eve night at midnight. And then we kind of do this little presentation of, of stuff for the kids. That is a, a Southern thing, I think. You think? Yeah. My sister-in-law is from Alabama, and that was the first time I ever saw that. And she's like, we don't do that because Santa doesn't have time. And I'm like, oh, my God, this Santa. It's really, it's really mama doesn't I'm time. like, and of course, growing up Jewish, I'm like, what is this bullshit? The jig is <laughs> up. I mean, what? Just so I had to, I've had to morph into the Christmas magic, um, although there was just that news story of somewhere in Georgia. I'm not sure which town it was where like all these people got covid from sitting on Santa's lap. And yeah. And um, I why the hell? And I'm sorry, <laughs> I you know, not to drop naughty words in the holiday season, but why would you send your kid in the middle of a pandemic to sit on Santa's lap? It's so bizarre. And then the person, whoever the mayor or the city councilman was like, you know, we want to keep certain traditions alive. And it's like, Whoa, you guys. Why don't you keep your people alive? I, I mean, know. come on. I never, all the years when Charlie was little and we tried to get the picture with Santa, it never went well. Ever. There is not one good picture with Santa. It's always an uncomfortable or a crying or a, so I just, again, that's a tradition. I don't understand. Maybe I'm just too Jewish. 
I don't know. No, it's completely irrational why we do that. (laughs) I mean, we have like all the pictures of my children. My daughter is losing it. (laughs) As I look back on it, thank God, right? We There's a strange dude like with facial hair who wants the little girl to sit on his lap. I mean, and then you tell them what you want for Christmas. And if you're a good girl, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we don't have any happy pictures. It makes me feel pretty good in terms of sending her out into the world. All right. So there you go. We will be having a very, very small Christmas. Mike will be cooking and we will be drinking and we will be counting down so I can go visit my mother in Boca Raton because I'm not going to go yet because I want her to get vaccinated. And I'm so happy to see some of my friends. Shout out to Dr. Eric Fishman, who works at Kennestone Hospital. Uh, I saw a photo of him getting vaccinated. He's a great anesthesiologist and overall awesome dude and big fan of yours, Senator Jen. And, uh, you know, it's it's very heartening. So every time I say I want a Christmas or a Hanukkah wish, every night I lit the menorah and I haven't been that consistent. This is the first year I've been consistent with lighting the menorah every night. And every night I said the prayer and I said, all I want for Christmas and Hanukkah is for Georgia to stay blue. I don't want any presents. That's so funny because my husband had asked me a couple of months ago what I wanted. And I said, all I want is for Biden to win. And so last (laughs) night he asked me, he goes, so what do you really want for Christmas? I said, well, I've got it. He was like, yeah, 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 whatever. So let's throw a vaccine a vaccine in there as a well. A vaccine, and we definitely want Wardock and Ossoff to win because, uh, uh, well, no matter what, I got a great Christmas gift. And and to as we roll into the new year, Jen, this has just been such a great experience doing this podcast with you. I know you're not warm and sappy, and neither am I, but it's been so much fun. I've learned so oh, much. Oh, it's been great. It's and been great. It's, it's, it's helped us get through this <laughs> This really, really tough time for everybody. And every week, uh, I'm, I always think Jen's going to say, you know what? I think I'm done. And she's not. And so it makes me very happy. And here we are. We happy were- holidays, everybody. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy um, t- New Year. And uh, I think maybe we'll have one more to the end of the year. Yeah. And happy runoff day which you can celebrate early if you go ahead and cast your vote. Absolutely. Christina Laringer, thanks to you for all the great editing and producing. We couldn't do this without you, so we appreciate you so much. Thanks to Terry White for doing our great art. And we also want to thank all of you so much for listening and subscribing and reaching out and tweeting Uh, You have no idea how much it means to us when we get little feedback here and there. It it goes a long way. So keep doing it. And y'all stay safe. And remember, vaccines are coming. We'll talk to you next time.